Welcome to the FCBC NYC podcast. We're so thankful that you decided to join us in this moment and in this season in your life. Our prayer is that this podcast will be a catalyst for conversion and transformation and that you will be inspired and renewed in such a tremendous way that your desire will be to be your best for God. Again, thank you for listening, and we're excited to see what is next in your life. I'm not going to be before you long today. I want to teach a little bit today. You may notice my shirt that I have on. These shirts will be available. I'm going to tell you, you know, FCBC, well, let me be more clear. I'm not afraid of a little controversy to stir up the pot, but these shirts to me say something and suggest something I want to share with you today. This is the first time in the history of Christianity in the United States where we've seen the number of persons who claim to be part of the faith drop in some regards below 50%, who claim it in, in, in the United States. We've seen people leave Christianity in droves. Now, the problem is the pious among us, those who don't have the ability to be introspective, will say, well, it's the world. The world has become godless. The world doesn't want God. The world doesn't want Jesus. That is not the case, beloved. I'm one of those persons who believes that part of the reason why people are leaving the church, leaving Christianity, is because of Christianity itself. More importantly, the people who claim to be Christians. Christianity in so many spaces has become synonymous with intolerance, rigidity, mean-spiritedness, prejudice, bigotry, nationalism, homophobia. You can call the role. So many things have been now aligned with Christianity, and it's, a no, and it's no wonder that so many have left the church, departed from the church. And I'm of the contention, part of the challenge is Christianity itself. I've been teaching for years that, that Christianity, as it has been shaped by our doctrinal form, formations and our creedal identity, In other words, identity shaped by the creeds created in the fourth century. In some ways, that doctrinal identity is far away, deeply disconnected from the teachings of the carpenter. It's a a headbanger for some people when you tell some folk, well, you know, Jesus wasn't a Christian. And they're like, what? No, Jesus was not a Christian. Jesus was crucified, resurrected, ascended, never heard that word uttered. It wasn't uttered till many years after his ascension, his death, resurrection, and ascension. Jesus was born a Jew and lived a Jew and died as a Jew. And tragically, much of Christianity that we now see today, again, with those things that are antithetical to Jesus, is not in alignment with the teachings of the carpenter. And so when you see this church, it doesn't mean that we have disavowed Christianity. No, no. But maybe we begin to reimagine language that speaks to who we ought to be. Not just Christian, followers of the carpenter. Because if Jesus is at the heart of the faith, and we love to say that Jesus is the foundation of our faith, then if Jesus is a foundation, it would be in our interest to know what he said, what he taught. Not just about your capacity to worship Jesus, but can you follow the teachings of the carpenter? That's the difference. It is easy to worship, but it's hard to be a disciple. 
because disciple means to follow. And we're called to follow the teachings of the carpenter. And so there have been many times people have talked about Christianity and I push people to reimagine that language. Talk about how you are led and shaped and guided by the teachings of the carpenter. And I'm intentional when I use that language because in this day and age, Jesus has become synonymous and Christianity has become synonymous with materialism and consumerism and opulence and obscene wealth in many quarters. And you cannot find an alignment with those things in Jesus's teachings. So it is amazing how the teaching is of Jesus. No, the name of Jesus is co-opted for the mechanisms of quote-unquote material prosperity. How the name of Jesus is co-opted, co-opted for those who want to manipulate for personal gain. At some point, we have to be vigilant about who we're called to be. Now, there are people who critique the church and criticize the church, and they abound in this day and age. If you look on social media, almost every day you see new criticisms of Christianity, new criticism of the church, and some of them are good, and some of them are justified, and some are not. But here's what I say. My critique is from the inside, not the outside. I love this work. I love this calling. I love who we're called to be. And because of that, I can stand in it and be critical of what is happening in so many quarters of Christianity around the world. People are being manipulated in Jesus's name, abused in Jesus's name, taken advantage of in Jesus's name, made to feel inferior because they may live impoverished lives and it's done in Jesus's name. And at some point, we have to begin to speak another way, talk another way and truly get back to the heart of that Jesus movement. Jesus said, go ye therefore to the disciples, a great commission and make disciples baptize. And here it is. Teach what I taught you. Teach, not teach what you want to make up. Teach what I taught. That means if we're going to make disciples, we baptize. Yes, but then we teach what Jesus taught. And there is my contention. We are not all teaching what Jesus taught. We're teaching about Jesus but not what Jesus taught. Howard Thurman put it like this. He said, there's a difference between the religion about Jesus and the religion of Jesus. I want us to get back to the religion of Jesus. For some people, what I'm saying right now is too hard to handle. So be it. So be it. But sometimes truth cuts. And the gospel, the gospel is good news. But like, you know, I heard a long time ago, Good news for some people is bad news for other folk. We're going to focus on the good news today. So I want to lift a scripture today and expound on it for those who might be thinking, here go past the mic again. But I want to lift up some words from Jesus today found in the gospel according to Luke. And I hope today that when you hear this message, or at least some of the things I want to share, that you would take it. And go read and study and understand what's going on. I love this faith, but I want people to understand how powerful and profound it is and to not think that somehow just because they are poor exemplars of the faith that something is wrong with the faith itself. Countless people have left the church 
and said things like, well, the people in the church are hypocrites or I can't stand this. Or, I had a bad experience or there's too much hate. And I have to remind people all the time, we're in New York City. Restaurants abound. And if you have a bad experience in one restaurant, you don't swear off restaurants. You find another one. And that's what I want to encourage you. Don't. And this may be somebody who's listening today or maybe somebody may share this message today. This is not an apology, apology for what has happened. This is a call. Maybe the issue is with the church, but not with the carpenter. There is a distinction. Luke 16, verses 10 through 16. I want to read these words because these are the words in part of the carpenter of Jesus. Luke 16, verse 10. Whoever is faithful in a very little is faithful also in much. And whoever is dishonest in a very little is dishonest also in much. If then you have not been faithful with the dishonest wealth, who will entrust you to the true riches? And if you have not been faithful with the belongings to another, who will give you what is your own? No slave can serve two masters. For a slave will either hate the one and love the other or be devoted to the one and despise the other. Here's the point. You cannot serve God and wealth. The Pharisees, who were lovers of money, heard all of this and they ridiculed him. So he said to them, you are those who justify yourselves in the sight of others, but God knows your hearts. For what is prized by human beings is an abomination in the sight of God. And here's what I need you to hear, beloved. Verse 16, the law and the prophets were in effect until John came. Since then, the good news of the kingdom of God is proclaimed and everyone tries to enter it by force. That's from the New Revised Standard Version. I want to read the Message Bible. And then I want to read a few verses from the New Living Translation. The Message Bible, 16, 10 through 16. Jesus went on to make these comments. If you're honest in small things, you'll be honest in big things. If you're a crook in small things, you'll be a crook in big things. If you're not honest in small jobs, you'll be put in charge of the who who will put you in charge of the store. No worker can serve two bosses. He'll either hate the first and love the second or adore the first and despise the second. You can't serve both God and the bank. When the Pharisees, a money obsessed bunch, heard him say these things, they rolled their eyes, dismissing him as hopelessly out of touch. So Jesus spoke to them, you are masters at making yourselves look good in front of others, but God knows what's behind the appearance. What society sees and calls monumental, God sees through and calls monstrous. God's law and the prophets climax in John. Now it's all kingdom of God. And the glad news and compelling invitation to every man and woman. Now I want to read the first 16 part in the New Living Translation. 
And these, this is Jesus speaking again. Until John the Baptist, the law of Moses and the messages of the prophets were your guides. But now the good news of the kingdom of God is preached and everyone is eager to get in. Let's pray. God, we thank you today. We honor you today, oh God, for how you're moving in this place. God, forgive us those moments when we sought to mislead. When we put self-interest over communal interests. Forgive us, oh God, those times when we let our reckless egos get in the way. And we forgot that we were called to decrease so that you might increase. Forgive us, oh God, when we found ourselves seeking praise of people and didn't mind if we disappointed you. Forgive us. In the midst of our misgivings, we thank you because your grace is still sufficient, oh God. Your love still endures and your love still covers and your love still binds and your love still keeps and your love still protects. Thank you for loving us in spite of at times how we get in our own way. We love you, Lord. We honor you, God. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. I want to read that portion from the New Living Translation of verse 16 in Luke 16. Until John the Baptist, the law of Moses and the messages of the prophets were your guides. But now, the good news of the kingdom of God is preached and everyone is eager to get in. I briefly want to share from this idea. Now what? Now what? I am one of those people who, if you wanted to categorize me, would consider myself a fanatic about Jesus. Not in the sense that it leads to misguided behavior, dangerous behavior, destructive behavior, but my soul is on fire when it comes to the teachings and the person and work of Jesus of Nazareth. I love Jesus. Not in the kind of way how sometimes we sentimentally look at Jesus as the one who allowed us to experience salvation or whose sacrifice has deemed us now, quote unquote, saved. Because that is part of our doctrinal formations of the work of Jesus, the work of salvation. The truth is that there are many people who know how to celebrate the work of salvation wrought through Jesus, wrought through the sacrifice, who never seek to line their lives up with the teachings of Jesus. 
I know for some that seems strange and for some it might even seem painful. But part of my challenge as a pastor for these 26 years, as a teacher for these 26 years, is often encountering people who are sold out for the faith, but know nothing of Jesus' teachings. They use Jesus' name as a good luck charm or a tag on the end of some line. So in other words, they can say that that phrase, those words have become sanctified because somehow you said it, did it in Jesus' name. The truth of the matter is you can call on the name all day long. In fact, I want to remind you something. His name did not get him crucified. His name is not why there was conspiracy between religious leaders and Roman authority. His name was not the reason. So if you think it's the name that got him in trouble, you're already misguided. It was not his name. It was his teachings that were designed to empower people who were oppressed by the Roman Empire. He was committed to teaching in such a way that those who would hear the words that he spoke would be inspired to see themselves in a different way and not under the gaze of Rome, but under the gaze of God. I've said this before in other spaces that he was helping them to see those who he preached to, who, by the way, were his people in his region, who were impoverished, malnourished, struggling, trying to make sense of life. He was seeking to find the words that gave life in the midst of a territory filled and shaped and surrounded by death. He realized that if you can't break the chain, free the mind. If you can't break the mechanisms of Roman power, break the hold that Rome had on the minds of those that were oppressed. This was the work of the carpenter and this is the work he left for his disciples and this is the work he left for us to do. To build the kingdom by making disciples and understand when you come with an alternative narrative that is antithetical to the status quo people will despise you people will hate you because just as people were blessed by Jesus's teachings but more particularly by his acts of power through the miracles there were always those who were there to critique and ostracize him who hated him because his manifestation of the power of God was a threat to those who were using religion as an opiate for the people and as a way to maintain their own religious power. I hope you hear that. That Jesus was a threat to those who were using the law of Moses, using the Torah, using the scriptures to maintain their own political and religious power. Yes, the religious leadership. That is why he was a threat to them. This is why they were always there to undermine him, to question him, because his presence and his teachings and his acts were a threat to their power, position, and privilege. That is it. So that when he teaches to empower his people, he's almost simultaneously offending those who've been using the plight of their people for their own personal profit. Oh, I hope you get that, beloved, because you might see some similarities hovering in the atmosphere in this time. Those who manipulate the plight of their people for their own personal gain 
who manipulate the oppression of their people for personal gain. That's why this scene in Luke is powerful because Jesus is really coming for the religious leaders and they understand it. Those, as the scripture says, who are money obsessed and obsessed with material gain. I'm amazed at how people, well, no, no, they rarely read these kinds of scriptures because these scriptures are offensive to people who use the scriptures and use Jesus and use Christianity to justify their own consumeristic desires or who, who use the scriptures to justify why somehow that you can live vicariously through their wealth while communities suffer in poverty. Yeah, I know folk don't like this talk. But it is this very, the very thing that Jesus comes to not only critique, but to show the people. And here in Luke 16, you see that Jesus tells a story of a manager who was dishonest. In fact, in some threads, it's called the story of the dishonest manager. Read the story in Luke 16. You'll see how he seeks to, when he, well, rather, when the manager or the owner of the property sees that the manager has not been doing well. In other words, the manager of the property was using his position for his own personal gain and personal expense. It's in the text, Luke 16, he was fired. And then he concocted a plan so that if he lost his job, he would find favor with people by easing the debts of the people who owed the owner of the property. He was trying to find a way to be taken care of by finding favor with people by lessening their debt. And then Jesus tells his story. And when he gets to the heart of the story, it is this, that money can't be your drive. Material prosperity can't be your drive. It is not that somehow when you follow the carpenter in this age, you take some vow of poverty. No, that is not what he's saying. But in this moment, your drive cannot be materialistic gain. It cannot be the thing that shapes your desire to get close to God. Because there are those who teach the closer you are to God, the more you have. What does God care about cars and clothes and shoes? That somebody would say somehow that if you have God in your life or you're closer to God, then you will prosper materially. What does God care about perishable goods when God has sun, moon, and stars? And yet there are those who manipulate scripture to take advantage of people for their own personal gain. Jesus is critiquing that right here because he knows who's listening. He knows who's watching. He knows who are close. And the scripture says the money obsessed Pharisees, the money obsessed religious leaders. And they're still Pharisees today. They're all over the place. There are Pharisees everywhere. They are on street corners and pulpits and seeking to personally gain intentionally off of the gospel. Jesus put it this way. You can't serve God and wealth. You can't serve God and the bank. You can't mix those words up. He says, you're going to love one and hate the other or hate one and love the other, but you can't serve two masters. This is the carpenter speaking. This is Jesus speaking. How is it that this passage is often bypassed by so many people who try to make the driving force material prosperity? They bypass what Jesus says here. Uh-uh, you can't serve two masters. 
And again, it does not mean that we didn't live this impoverished life because Jesus is talking to those who are impoverished and trying to help themselves, help them see themselves differently and not in light of their oppression, that they are God's children. This is the work of Jesus. This is the good news to set the oppressed free, to set the captives free, to give sight to the blind, to liberate those who are oppressed. That's the good news. And here Jesus teaches this. And what happens? The religious leaders, the Pharisees, I like how the Message Bible says it. They roll their eyes and dismiss Jesus and said that he didn't understand the ways and how things were done. And then Jesus hit him. He said, until John the Baptist came, the law of Moses and the prophets were your God. Since John and since that time, it's the good news, the kingdom of God. Let that sink in. Let it sink in. Just when you're ready to say this word is ridiculous, I don't like it. I'm quoting the carpenter, not me. Those are Jesus's words. Until John comes, who is the one who makes the way, who prepares the way for the coming of Jesus and Jesus' teachings? Until John's arrival, it was the law of Moses. It was the prophets. But since then, it's the good news in the kingdom of God. He said, and it is available to everyone. To everyone. The good news. The good news and the kingdom of God rooted in love and the deep things. When you read the scriptures, read the New Testament, the kingdom of God is like so many things. It's elusive to a degree. You can't identify. You can't put a finger on it and say, here it is. I love what Jesus says. He said, if the kingdom were in the sky, it would be a bird. If it was in the sea, it would be a fish. And then he says, but the kingdom of God is within you. Can you imagine that here it is? Jesus says that since John is the preaching of the good news and the kingdom of God and the kingdom of God is within and the good news is liberation and love working hand in hand to see that justice comes about and that is what we are called to do Jesus says the kingdom of God embrace the magnitude of God that dwells within us rooted in deep love and shaped by liberation that is the work Jesus says the other things are not dismissed. He said, you can't dismiss the word. Keep reading the narrative. You can't dismiss the scriptures. You can't dismiss it. He says, and those weren't the guys. But now I say the good news in the kingdom of God. And here's the question. What does good news look like to people who have their backs broken by oppression? What does the good news look like to people who are struggling just to make ends meet? What does the good news look like to people who are oppressed because of who they are? What does the good news look like to people who've already been beaten down for the world and then get beat down by church? What does the good news look like? Because if it ain't rooted in radical, revolutionary love, it may be some news, but it ain't good news. This is the teachings. These are the ways of the carpenter. And if we embrace that, I promise you, people won't run from the church. They'll find their way back into the presence of the carpenter and those teachings. Not rooted in hate and bigotry and prejudice and quote-unquote Christian nationalism and white supremacy 
and capitalism, but in unadulterated love. Love. And if you want to know what love looks like, read the Gospels. Look at the stories. Look at the teachings. But look at the foundation. Love is the underlying ethos of the Jesus movement. How can you be committed to that and spew hate in Jesus' name? It's not in alignment, beloved. Today, the point was to begin an awakening for some. That there are still those who are committed to the ways of the carpenter. There's still those who are moved by the teachings of the carpenter. Who are not consumed by the institutions and the mechanisms that help maintain unhealthy institutions, but who are moved by a deep desire to love their neighbors as themselves. Who simply want to feed the hungry and clothe the naked and visit those in prison and visit those in the hospital and welcome strangers who, who still want to give people bread and not stones, who still want to take care of those who are hurting and wounded, who still are committed to leading an alternative way, a more excellent way that leads away from the cultural insanity that we constantly are bombarded with that is rooted in hate. There's still a remnant of people who are willing to shake free of the trappings of dysfunctional institutions and gravitate towards the teachings of the poor Jewish rabbi from Nazareth of Galilee. I heard my pastor long ago say that we follow the teachings of a poor man who grew up in the ghetto. That's who we follow. We can't ever forget that. Don't be misled by those who want you to believe that Jesus was raised in Caesar's house. Mm -mm. Mm -mm. There's a reason why when God enters the scene through the move of Jesus, <clears throat> it comes in a stable in the back of an inn and not a palace in Rome. Don't confuse the story. There's a reason why when he begins his ministry, it's near the muddy Jordan and not clean rivers flowing through Rome. No, it's the good news and it's the gospel. And now that you've heard this and read it, now what? Now what will you do? Will you keep chasing that line that leads you closer to the carpenter? Will you start raising questions about a lot of the religious insanity masquerading as Jesus' teachings? Now what? I heard my grandmother say when I was younger, when you know better, you do better. 
Maybe it's time for us in the church to start doing better. Because we know better. And if you don't know better, you can know better. This faith is not a weapon of divisiveness. It is not a tool of those in power to beat others into submission. It is not a tool of patriarchy. It is not a tool of misogyny. It is not a tool of racism. At its best, when viewed through the lens of the carpenter, it's a tool of empowerment. It's a tool of liberation. It's a tool of love. And to those who may be watching, who feel disappointed, who may have been hurt by the church while you stayed away so long, knowing those things, empowerment, liberation, and love, who wouldn't want to follow a rabbi like that? Follow the carpenter. And you just might be surprised what you encounter along the way. And if you're not careful, you just might run into yourself on your journey of discipleship. Come on, beloved, let's pray. God, we have much work to do and many miles to go before we sleep. There's so much pain in this world and in this country. So much hate. So much division. And tragically, oh God, some of the people who are leading the effort claim to be doing it in your name. God, this is a day where silence means compliance. It means that we support it. God, we got to speak out. There's another way to lean into this faith. It's the way of the carpenter. It's the way we are called to. It's the way of Jesus. Teachings that liberate. God, we're ready. We're ready. We're ready. We're ready. Because too many people are waiting for the good news. Too many people have forgotten that the kingdom of God is within them. We're ready. This is the season. And we are ready. We love you, Lord. We honor you, God. And in your name we pray. We say, amen. Thank you for listening to the FCBC NYC podcast. We hope that what you heard was informative and inspiring and in some way created a space for you to have a creative encounter with God. You can follow us on social media and on the internet at fcbcnyc.org. Please follow and also contribute 
If you've been blessed by what you heard, support us financially that we may continue to offer these podcasts. Thank you again, and we look forward to you tuning back in in the future.